Well, okay, on more important news, uh, <laughs> this past week featured the first uh, uh, uncontrolled airspace meetups here in the, well, not, not first in the United States, but the first formal ones. Oh. Uh, I had my meetup up here in New England. Uh, we, uh, we got together with, uh, uh, there was like five or six of us uh, at the height of the, of the crowd, uh, and we met in a, we went, met, met in a bar, uh, part of a restaurant chain. Do they have those around the country, 99 restaurant? Uh, nope. N- not to be confused nope. with the, the Women's Pilot Organization. This is just a, a chain of uh, <laughs> restaurant and bars called uh, the 99. And, uh, and we gathered around the corner of the bar and drank beers and talked about airplanes, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, we had... Uh, I, I, I'm not going to try and name names because I'll do it wrong. I'll do it badly. But uh, but I know uh, Jeff Ward, Scarfrejet, and myself were sort of hosts, and uh, and there were about four or five other guys there, uh, and uh, a bunch of people from Hanscom Field, a guy from uh, from Nashua, another guy from Norwood Airport, and uh, we had a good old time talking about airplanes for a lot longer than I expected. I thought we'd be there for an hour and a half or so. We were there till like ten o'clock that night, and uh, oh, and it, was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So. Uh, so I'm, I just want to kind of, uh, this is an advance, this is an, a beginning of the episode shout out to my new friends uh, that uh, I drank beers with a couple nights back. And uh, we've tentatively planned to have another gathering. Uh, uh, this will be yet another, you know, kind of evening uh, uh, adult beverage kind of thing, probably at the same place on May 4th. I don't have a calendar in front of me. I think it's May 4th, whatever that Monday is in in the beginning of May. So if anybody wants to put that on their calendar in advance, that'd be cool. And David, how'd your how'd your your meetup go? Well, we had three. Three is good. Uh, we had we had a couple of we had a couple of late uh, uh, last minute cancellations. One because young man had an opportunity to get checked out uh, doing freelance flight instructing at a local uh, operation. So uh, don't begrudge him that. But uh, Nick and Steve turned out. We met up at the Stick and Rudder Club, mm-hmm. uh, which is a pilot's bar attached to the Savutes restaurant in, uh, on North Broadway in Wichita. And uh, very popular among the uh, uh, Flight Safety International guys and some of the corporate pilots and a bunch of the CAF people, handful of the EAA crowd. Uh, so it's a good mix. Uh, and uh, we found it, it a little quieter than when I was going up there on Wednesday nights regular for several years. and. But uh, still a lot of the same places and the, the same airline seats at the tables and airplane photographs. Do they really? That sounds cool, actually. Uh, well, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, first class or coach? Mostly, uh, <laughs> well, mostly I'd have to call business class. Business they're, class all, okay. they're all leather clad and they're wider than standard coach seats. Uh-huh. Uh, the, these, are, these are seats out of airliners for, from a day. When uh, you know they didn't squish you up into the size of a, uh, a sardine and stuff you down a human mailing tube, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah. So we had a night, yeah. lovely evening. They were there a couple hours. Uh, drank enough. Uh, drank enough uh, uh, barley pop to make a decent tip for the lovely bartender. And yeah. as I understand, and it, your we're going to do it again. As I understand it, your bar didn't have lining kugel either, huh? No, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it's a possibility. We just got to be regular enough buying line and kugels to make it worthwhile for the young lady to put it yeah. on their worth inventory. So now, Jeb, I know that you are seriously trying to. Put I, I was just going to chime in. I am working on what I call the Great Southeast UCAP Meetup. Yeah. Uh huh. 
Uh, ah. And there's a, a thread on the on the uh, forum in the forums. Yep. Uh, on, on with that very title. Um, the current thinking um, is April 18 or 19, depending on uh, where the the uh, the greatest interest is. That's either a, a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, thinking lunch. Um, the location. Um, I'm obviously you know foot foot loose and fancy free. I can travel. Uh, so I was looking at you know as far north as maybe uh, even Savannah or Athens, Georgia. Um, since we're going to do this in the southeast, and and I'm thinking, you know, rather than get together, you know, for beers um, or something in the evening to do it, you know, this is an aviation podcast. Yep. So you know, maybe we should like, you know, think about flying to it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. All right. <laughs> so. So. Well, that, um, that does 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 kind of force a different equation on it. It does. What you're going to do, it, part of the time. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. We're not going to be having too many beers. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the thinking right now. I have, uh, uh, two local area pilots who've chimed in and said, Hey, you know, let's just do Venice, uh, which is fine. And, and Amy, I want to twist your arm. Uh, I was going to gonna say, I'd, yeah. I'd show up in Venice, you know, yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you know, if you want to, if it's, if it's the, the, the center of gravity is decided to be somewhere north of here, you know, I'll buy the gas and you come with me. So. Uh, okay. okay. That's, right. a, that's, that's, that's good. That's an idea too. Yeah. yeah. Now that's along so, the lines. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeb. But that's that's where we are right now. Um, uh, as I say, April 18 Man, or 19. I, I, I uh, lunchish, and uh, and uh, you know, at an airport. You know, hopefully with a restaurant. Yeah. So if uh, so, people who want to uh, kind of give you some feedback, you can either post in that thread in the forum. Or they could write to you at uh, Jeb at uncontrolledairspace.com. That or they, you know, send, send smoke signals or semaphore or uh, um, you know, something like that. But yes. That's right. Okay. Cool. cool. Well, That's actually do, what we're you, thinking about you, doing. We're still thinking about doing the Barnes, uh, this Barnes, Massachusetts. So it's not, that's not the name of the city. That's the name of the airport um, in, in Western Mass uh, fly-in, drive-in sometime probably mm-hmm. late May, early June or something like that. And uh, and we're thinking about doing a lunch. We were, I was originally thinking breakfast, but I'm told that the weather in that at that airport has a tendency to, to fog in early in the morning. So rather mm. than risk that, apparently it's an, it's a very cool location. I've driven through the area a lot and it's it's at the it's sort of into the Berkshires and the you know the Appalachian Mountains and it's in the in this valley between two ridges. So I can understand that it can get fogged in some mornings. So Barnes will probably I can be a, see a lunch kind of thing, but anyways, yeah. So that's very cool. So uh, so uh, people should check into the forum for the uh, Great Southeastern UCAP uh, uh, fly-in. Well, and meetup. just yeah. a few days after Jeb's get together, we'll be on the front porch at the Sun and Fun radio station. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's doing right. our opening oh, evening right. podcast on the. Uh, I believe that's the twenty-first. I guess so. But I mean, yeah, before we talk about that, I should point out that uh, you said the April eighteenth or nineteenth. April eighteenth, of course, is the uh, birthday of a great American, and uh, so I don't know whether that's going to help your cause or not. But uh, which which great American? Me. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I knew it. Hey. Hey, hey. Man, hey. man, man, that was artificial bait from the start. <laughs> I had to, you know, clarify that. Right. 
And now I will give you the secret for perfect enlightenment, providing VMC conditions prevail. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Welcome, folks, to episode number 127 <laughs> of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General so Aviation Podcast. that's why we're here. We're recording this episode on Friday evening, March 27th, I think, 2009. And uh, He had to look. I do ha- always have to look because I've gotten it wrong. Every time I don't look, I get it wrong. Sometimes even if I look and write it down, I still get it wrong. Let me say hi to my friends who are here in the virtual hangar with me this evening. One of those voices out there is uh, Dave Higdon, who's joining us from beautiful and spring-like Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> no, not yeah, exactly, have, huh? What's going on out there tonight? Well, we, we, we could call this crusty creature land here. It's uh, my yard and the park next door, street out front, are white with about an inch and a half or two inches of ice pellets, mm-hmm. ice crystals, because uh, that's what started coming down this morning about 10 o'clock. Yeah. Western part of the states, and we're under. We were under a blizzard warning until about one o'clock today. I know. Now let me just repeat this to folks who aren't paying attention or are listening to this podcast. You know, like months in the future, it's today, late March. It's March twenty seventh. It's almost April, and you're going to have a blizzard in Kansas. Oh, it, it's here, baby. It's it's here. Uh, it was snowing so heavily in eastern Colorado and western Kansas twenty four hours ago Thursday night that the 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 you know civic events church events school games and all that were already canceling in droves for friday mm-hmm. and it hadn't stopped snowing out there yet uh, yeah yeah well so uh well it's a good thing you didn't set set your uh, meet up for this evening well i would have been there uh, <laughs> because for days you would have neither neither snow nor rain nor sleet nor will keep him from his line and kugel. Well, and that's why we got this little twenty year this little twenty year old four wheel drive truck yeah. that uh, you know with with real big real live mud and snow tires. That's right, and it actually chews this stuff up pretty nicely. So I had to use it to get to the. Uh, scotch that i'm drinking that's right yes it was a mercy mission it was a mercy mission <laughs> that's right also here in the hangar is jeb burnside who's talking to us from sarasota florida where it's presumably not snowing right it's presumably not snowing i have not looked out the window in the last several minutes but uh, um, i'm willing it right now uh, it's, it's it's been you know 80 ish and and uh, breezy during the day too breezy actually uh uh story behind that later on perhaps but uh um, uh, yeah, the weather down here right now is delightful. I actually had to cut on the air conditioning earlier just to take the the heat off of, in the house. Uh, and, so uh, the weather is delightful, and a fire would really be frightful. A fire, a yeah, fire would be frightful. Fire's so, uh, a problem. Um, the weather is here. Wish you were beautiful. That's right. That's yeah. right. And also here in the hangar this week is Amy Laboda, who's talking to us from uh, her air park in Fort Myers, Florida. All you air park resident folks, I'm just jealous. Yeah, you know. Hi, Amy. Know. How are you doing? Hi. Actually, the fire is between us, Jeb. There is uh-huh. fire between us. So oh, Port Charlotte is on fire tonight. 
But really? fortunately, the wind is out of the south, hard out of uh-huh. the south, and uh-huh. it is not blowing in my direction. It's blowing in yours. So yeah. that would explain yeah. that, that funny smell um, okay. if you didn't I have the air was, conditioning on. I thought that was the dog had gotten into something. Oh, yeah. I see. No. <laughs> not quite. That's right. That's uh, different funny smell. What Jeb calls breezy is gusting to 30 miles an hour. And uh, uh, you know, I saw uh, a first flight called off this morning because it was too windy at 6 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Was it a first flight for an airplane or a first flight yeah. for a person? No, for yes. an airplane. But it doesn't really there, – there's, there's no good reason to send somebody out yeah. uh-uh. in either of those cases. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, remember getting queried one day during my primary about my wind limit. By an instructor mm-hmm. at an airport that I was visiting, expressly because it was about eighty degrees off the runway there, never and blowing in in the mid teens, and I thought good practice. <laughs> Plus, they had a soda machine on the front porch, and he, uh, said, "Are you nuts?" <laughs> well, well, yeah. That's one question. Why? What, goes, what's well, your What's your real limit. question? We, yeah. You know. My problem, my problem is when when you're doing the first flight on a new experimental that's got a fresh ticket yeah. off the the designated oh, no. yeah. Uh, yeah. There's no practice. Yeah. No right. Practice. No, you don't want a daylight today. There's no, there's no margin. There's no nothing, and and, and uh, you don't want to rush something like that. You want everything perfect. Uh, yeah. Uh, you I, I went out. Your feelings, the airplane, and not the yeah. conditions. Right. I, I went out this morning about eleven something, or right around eleven. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was a rough as a cob, yeah. uh, try, tried to get back in here. Uh, I don't know, one, one thirty, something like that. And it was not going to happen. Uh, so I left the airplane at Venice. Um, and, uh, actually I need to get some couple things done to it, but, uh, um, you know, uh, 2,500 feet, you know, the, the, the windsock, at the uh, at the approach end of the runway was bouncing around. I had a tailwind. I had a headwind. I had a tailwind. I had a headwind. Yeah. So you know, I'm not going to play this silly game. <laughs> no, you're yeah. right. You're absolutely yeah. right. And you know, it it takes a lot of discipline to say to yourself, "I don't want to play." Yeah. No. No. Huh. It's, yeah. It 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 really shows a level of uh, of uh, promise and judgment. When a person looks at the conditions and say, "No, not today," yeah, you know whether that means taking off in that kind of stuff or co- trying to come back in it and it being that wrong. I don't know what you're worried about. I, I did most of my flying out of Palo Alto. Palo Alto is 2,400 feet long. Yeah, 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 yeah. But windy, windy. Yeah, well, what, right on the edge yeah. of San Francisco Bay. I understand yeah, 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 yeah. all that. I understand that. Now, what, how the runways align and what's the relative wind? Yeah. Uh, never straight down the runway. It was like a, one runway, period, one runway, and uh, and the winds yeah. were almost never straight down the runway. Yeah, this, this was, this you know, yeah, winds out of the south at the surface, and this runway is oriented uh, east-west, and uh, as Amy correctly notes, it was honking today. Yeah, okay. yeah, so. it was honking. And I'm reading this really interesting book that Robert Goyer of Flying Magazine put me on sure. to called Blake. And you got to get it. Blink is terrific. Yeah, it's uh, what's his name, the author. Um, uh, Yeah, it's what's his name. I'd have to get up to go look. So, but L I N C L I N K. No, B B L I N K. Oh, Blink. Okay. Yeah, and and the beautiful part about that, it's all about the snap decisions we make and how we make them and how good they are. 
And Jeb, you made a decision based on what you saw and your instinct and your gut feeling. And your gut feeling is what you have to be able to go on in aviation. It it all applies. Robert Goyer is absolutely right on that one. Well, I've, I've, I've landed in conditions worse than this at longer, wider runways. Um, and I've gone around from longer as narrow runways before and, uh, uh, and on both occasions, um, uh, I could still use the airplane afterwards. So, uh, two things here, real quickly. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is the author of Blink. Uh, Thank you. Very, very good book. But if you but if you liked Blink, you'll love his earlier book called The Tipping Point, which was a terrific. Uh, uh, okay. Um, so, and who are you again? And and that's the second thing you thought I was going to forget, didn't you? But no, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from the home office here in Dover, New Hampshire. Where spring UCAP is definitely world headquarters. UCAP world headquarters, where spring is definitely starting to take hold. I'm pleased to say, uh, it's been um, not Florida spring, but it's it's good New Hampshire spring. It's uh, it's been in the 50s. Take, take, taking oh. hold as versus put on hold. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was looking at the ten day forecast, and 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 we've got a whole series of days. It just goes to show you what we New Englanders kind of start to look forward to towards the end of winter. We've got a whole series of days where it's not going to go below freezing each night, which is <laughs> I mean, that's, that's always a big win. So you know, I've talked at length about my buddy Lee, uh, who's my mechanic and lives up in the D.C. area still, and I'm trying to get him down here, but that's another issue, another topic. But uh, the, according to him, they just had a miserable winter up there and even earlier this week uh it was starting out the days were starting out in the mid-20s and um uh just just miserable so i i feel for y'all i really do and, and that's that's you know um no no um feelings of superiority or anything like that involved i, it's, it's, I know oh, it's okay. been tough then i'm then I'm going to take back that bite me, I was about to say. So. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'm talking about the guys in the Northeast. The guys in the Midwest, you, you know, forget you. <laughs> you made your bed. You get to lie in. Oh, uh, man. We're going to have a good snow fight later tonight, though. That's right. That's right. Hey, um, so last week uh, – oh, no, I'm sorry. Before I talk about this first story, I want to something. Um, Amy, since the last time uh, you were in the hangar, you had your big conference, right? Yeah, we uh, did fantastic. This is a little belated, but please do tell us a little bit about how your conference went. Uh, remind us what it's called and, and just kind of give us a little overview, if you would. Go figure. Nearly 3,000 people showed up for the 20th anniversary Women in Aviation International Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. Cool. And that was, oh, just under three weeks ago. And mm-hmm. I know that because I just closed the May-June issue of the magazine today with the conference wrap-up in it uh-huh. for eight pages. Uh, God bless it. Yeah. And <laughs> I've seen a lot of pictures from that conference now. Yeah. I know who people are. I can caption them. Um, but we had $459,000 in scholarships awarded. Ooh, wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we raised $18,000 in our silent auction for our endowment fund, and UPS matched that to $20,000, so that was really wonderful. Yeah. Um, and let's see, people were actually hiring in the exhibit hall. We had 120 Jeez. exhibitors, and I was really, really pleased with the enthusiasm and the energy and just the things that make that conference what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you always have a good time. You always come away inspired, uh, whether it was Governor Sonny Perdue, God bless him. Yes, that's really his name, the governor of yes, Georgia. Go is. check it. 
um, or or Jessica Cox, who's flying with no yeah. no arms. Mm, God bless. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, and and demonstrated to the world that she can tie her shoes with her toes, um, which I cannot do. Though I did for a moment try. I, I I don't mean to make light of her situation, but that does sound like a little bit of a chicken and the egg problem here. All right, how do you tie your shoes with your toes when they're in the shoes? She actually she actually has her shoes such that she can slide her feet in afterwards, ah, but she okay. can, she can tie a real bow. I believe it. And uh, folks with those kinds of disabilities do are astounding things to. Uh, well, she doesn't have any disabilities. That's the thing you need to understand. She also drives a car. A good point. Yes. There are no disabilities for this for this person, and that's what she was up there on the stage to say. Yeah. And I I was really impressed. And and she's she wants to be an, an inspirational speaker. She's come a long way, and 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 she will get polished, and she will get there. And she was very inspiring, anyway. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I mean? Not to mention, thank you, Jessica. She was one of the last speakers on the stage that morning, and she knew that she had to run short, and she did. Mm-hmm. She actually changed her speech, which. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of speakers will do for you. Not a lot and, of people. Yeah, obviously. Exactly and and right. what's that? You're exactly right. Not a lot of people will do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And allow you to, to keep things rolling on time. And and she was just wonderful and, and, and delightful to be around. I can say the same thing of Peg Whitson, who was commander of the uh, International Space Station, and she was there to talk about that. Wow. Uh, Great you group, to, yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk about a down-home kind of person and, and just delightful to be around. Now, I got stuck in Atlanta for the mm-hmm. snowstorm. Oh, God. Along with a lot of the conference people. So the conference was almost extended a full day just by virtue of the fact that Atlanta had a blizzard. God bless it. Uh, no. oh, and, you know, and that's when you're really grateful that aircraft aren't moving. Because yeah, otherwise no. your room would be at risk because of those people coming in behind you. Right, right, right. Exactly. I got to ride out to the airport with all my stuff. I had my, my physical office that had to go into the airplane to bring home. And I got all that stuff in the airplane without getting anything too wet. Tore up my hand a little bit, but that was just moving too fast. The next morning I came out. I thought I was really smart, and I called the FBO the night before, and I said, how about you go out there and knock all the snow off my wings? That would be really nice. Then it wouldn't be so bad in the morning. And they did, but they missed the tail. And there was still a lot of ice on the airplane, and it was 25 degrees the next morning. So they pulled me into a hangar. They said, oh, no problem. We'll put you in the warm hangar. It'll all melt off. You'll be out of here, no problem. I'm like, oh, so nice. Mm. Well, what I didn't know is they charge you fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they call it a de-icing fee. Yeah, they do. It was interesting. Yeah. All they pretty much do is give you a towel and let you wait in the warm. Well, and it, I had, we had that happen to us at an airport that I'm not going to name because I, I know they've changed the policy since. But when they said, you know, we, uh, when the, they didn't tell us it was going to cost us, but, but it showed up on the tab. And when I asked them about it, uh, they said, oh, sorry, we really should have mentioned it. And I said, wait a minute. That's more expensive than if I'd paid to just park in the hangover night, <laughs> which it was. Wow. It was like yeah. 10 bucks yeah. more. 
than if I'd parked it, you know, if I'd opted instead of being on a tie down to be in a heated hangar. Well, in my case, it was identical. Charging me for the overnight for the hangar. Yeah, I I let it go because I'd been there for six nights and they discounted my parking. So basically, I came away to wash. And, And the reality of the situation was the guys were really nice. And I watched Corky Fornoff trying to fire up the, the Fury. And he had been in a hangar. So he pulled his airplane right out. He came in after me. I was waiting. And he's grinding and grinding. And I'm going, oh, my God, somebody put preheat on this airplane. <laughs> he did finally get it started. Mine started a lot quicker after an hour in the warm hangar, mm-hmm. even though the, the inside temps weren't that much higher it did start a lot quicker um so so i i every little bit helps yeah so it sounds like so it sounds like the conference was a a big success that's terrific it really was i'll I'll be interested to see if the downturn you know is is tough for another year it may or may not be that way we were we were off by about six seven percent from our numbers last year Mm -hmm. and i cannot complain about that at all no that's great. Considered. That's it's great. a great show. Terrific. Yeah. So last week uh, on the episode, we talked a little bit about the new uh, 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 Terrafugia uh, rotable aircraft. I'm not supposed to call it a flying car. <laughs> the and transition. I don't want to go down, the transition. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, and I don't want to go into that story again unless Amy has anything particular she wants to add about it. The main reason no, no, I bring no. it up again is that we were speculating about how it actually was driven I mean, how what its drive motive, what made it move forward when it was when it was on on the ground, and whether mm-hmm. or not the propeller spun to cause it to drive. And I made no. a comment about I just can't imagine that there would be cars that were powered by propellers. And of course, a listener chimed in uh, not only <laughs> not only by with from from his memory, I believe it's a him, but uh, but uh, with photos. Uh, if you go into our forums, um, Pilot MKN. Yeah, posted some pictures of some uh, some uh, uh, somewhat antique air, uh, aircraft automobiles that uh, that were powered by propellers, and uh, so I guess it has been done in the past. I, uh, I I think we discovered since that that's not the way the transition is powered. That uh, oh, transition yes. uses front wheel drive when yeah. it's on the ground. Right. But uh, just to be, just to complete the story here, there have been cars driven by propellers, and I still think it's incredibly dangerous. I mean, <laughs> yikes! But well, this, uh, the, these these vehicles were obviously designed before OSHA existed. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, yep. I, I look at it and I can think of the marketing ads on it. You know, it's quiet, it's smooth, it's always cool in the summertime. And it slices your meats and cheese. There you go. Yeah. And, and the odd ankle, you know. <laughs> um, well, I think this uh, blue one in the photograph with yeah. the ducted propeller, uh-huh. you know, I, I, that's not an irresponsible solution. It's not. And it keeps blowing on the cockpit. Uh, yeah. And then you got the little ground effects fenders in the back to help keep weight on the ground so it can corner better. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it's doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> it looks like an airboat to me. It does appear, actually, to have like- a, a vertical stab, doesn't it, though? It does. It sort of looks like there's a little rudder back there. Uh I'm assuming that's the that the is the propeller on the front of this car or the back? Yeah, the yeah. propeller's on yeah. the front. All right, the propeller. Oh, look at look at the windshield back behind it's got headlights. it. Oh, headlights! Oh, headlights! Of course, yeah. there you go. Of course. Okay. All right. 
Yeah, those have been really big backup lights. You know, I'm looking at the picture, that picture of the blue one. If you look on the sort of right in the dist- in the background on the right there, is that a bicycle that's driven by a propeller? Yes, it is. is. <laughs> well, this is an odd museum. I think I have to go to it one of these days. <laughs> Auto Museum in Nashville, Tennessee. That's right. There yeah. you go. Um, that sounds like a lot of fun. Now, it, it, I, I wanted to know what this second image, though, is. What is that? It looks like a trike set up without the hang glider wing. Exactly right. It's exactly what I was going to say. Um, and it's a, what, it looks like a two-cylinder uh, something kind of, look like maybe a Harley motor or something like that, an early Harley motor. Yeah, it looked like it could be an early motorcycle engine, flathead, mm-hmm. uh, although it could well be two-stroke, but uh, definitely not an overhead valve engine. Got a lot of stroke to it, that's for sure. Oh so, yeah, cars driven by uh, yeah. cars driven by propellers. There you go. It has happened. It it can be done. It can. Be done. <laughs> Another story from last week was uh, about the uh, the uh, SR22 that recently uh, dis- uh, got in trouble and popped the chute and uh, drifted to the ground. And uh, interesting uh, interview, uh, or at least a quote, some quotes from the uh, pilot involved. Uh, this is on in AOPA Online's website. Uh, in a story called Aviate, 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 and uh, Dave Hirschman uh, writes a bit about, uh, a little bit more background about this incident. Um, but I, I, I don't have any, in, the, the main thing I wanted to point out here is that someone, and I don't think we talked about this during the podcast, but I think the listeners did in the forums, and they were wondering um, whether this particular aircraft was equipped with the, the I don't know, somewhat legendary, uh, 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 what is it, blue button, red button, the level button. Yeah, level yeah. button. Um, and it turns out that this aircraft was apparently equipped with this. With this. this is a button, part of the autopilot, apparently. It's sort of in a, a panic switch, a panic button, if you will, all right, that you can hit that theoretically will cause the aircraft to level out from any unusual attitude. And people were wondering whether, whether this was equipped and why he didn't use it. Apparently it is equipped and he did use it, but he immediately concluded that he was just in too dire a situation to wait for it to do its thing. And My understanding is he was, you know, maybe 800 to 1,000 feet AGL at the time. And uh, hitting the level button does exactly what the name of the button would, would suggest. It levels the airplane at its, at its altitude and on its present heading. So that might not have been a real good thing to do in a, in a built-up suburban area is, is level yourself off at, at uh, 1,000 feet AGL uh, and, and go zooming along. Um, so I, And we talked about this last week, and, and uh, uh, I don't think anyone, you know, there, any, I don't think anyone should be second-guessing uh, the, the guy who, who makes a decision to pull the handle on a, on a, on a Cirrus. Um, we weren't there. And um, um, the, the punchline is, um, it came out all right. The guy's still walking around and able to talk about it. The airplane's toast, but you know they'll build another airplane. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't. Yeah, and, no, and it, I certainly it, didn't bring it up to second guess him. I, I wanted. No, to no, fill, no. Fill I'm, I'm not here. suggesting you. Yeah, interesting sorry. quotes that came out here. Not and, uh, suggesting you did bring it up for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just thought there was interesting quote, first-person quotes from the pilot here, um, talking about the situation, and uh, uh, members can. There, uh, there was a thread. Listeners, rather. Yeah. Uh-huh. On an email list. Uh, there's a thread about this on an email list to which I subscribe. And someone asked the question, well, you know, how long does it take the level button to level the airplane? And um, I responded, 
kind of relating a, a tale, and I think I've probably talked about it on, on, on the podcast before. Last summer at uh, Oshkosh, I got a ride in a perspective-equipped SR-22, and I took it out on purpose, um, set up a, a fairly high power setting, uh, put it into uh, the beginning entry into a steep spiral, and let go of the controls. And and then put we reached over, let it develop a little bit, reached over, pushed the level button. And, you know, immediately the airplane leveled the wings and the nose started coming up. And, yeah, we lost some altitude, uh, but it took maybe six to eight seconds uh-huh. for this to – it, it felt like it took a lot longer, okay? Yeah. Um, but um, – uh, the system definitely works, and it doesn't take that long, and, and it, and it does, did a better job of recovering from that um, attitude than I would have. So, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm becoming a believer in, in autopilots, even though I don't fly an airplane that has one, but I'm looking forward to it. There's two of the uh, 172s at Southern Maine have autopilots in them, I'm told, and that's sort of the next thing on my list to uh, get checked out in those airplanes. So, But uh, anyways... Uh, moving on here, let's see now. So here's an interesting... Well, this is not so much the story that's interesting as what it makes me think about. The story here is that um, as we're recording this podcast, um, the northern and central United States is having some real flooding problems with a lot of rain and so forth, and uh, it's a pretty bad situation apparently. Uh, in support of, uh, of relief measures and rescue measures, um, the... Uh, the uh, I'm not sure if it's the police or the National Guard or whoever have got have borrowed have been loaned from Homeland Security a uh, a Predator drone aircraft that they're going to be using up there and flying around in order to do uh, observations and look for people in trouble or areas that are flooded or whatnot and uh, and so I was reading this story and it's just you know we've talked about this in the past and and people have probably have heard that I'm I have doubts about well I have mixed feelings about these things flying in our regular airspace. And that's the thing that that caught my attention on this story was it talked about how these these predators and and other uh, you know uh, unmanned aircraft or be un, un remotely piloted aircraft are being flown all over the country right now or at least in many places around the country particularly along the borders and and elsewhere I don't know how you know so I didn't even realize that and my question to you guys who know a lot more about this stuff is how does that work in terms of airspace and separ- separation and 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 whatnot I mean. How does it work? <laughs> I'm not sure they've shared that with us. I'm not sure they've shared that with us either. On one hand... Do they throw up a big TFR and not let anybody fly in this airspace? No, we, they don't no, talk about it. They don't talk about it. They either do an IFR and and ATC separates, or they do it VFR, and um, they have maybe some sensors that uh, uh, alert the remote pilot of a nearby aircraft, but, you know, sensors fail and um, stuff happens. Um, I would like to know more about this myself. Uh, I, don't have, I don't have any answers for you. you know, well, it, at one point there was a, a, a move to create a semi-permanent TFR all along the U.S. border with Mexico so that the uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security could deploy drones up there and keep the airspace free because they don't have sea and avoid capabilities uh, quite at the level that we're used to seeing in more sophisticated human-piloted aircraft. Uh, They also don't have the Mark II eyeball system. the sensors that they do have for that kind of stuff tend to be forward-looking, I understand. 
it is a worrisome mix. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, you know, I, I mean, I'm I, I'm obviously the the longtime VFR pilot, and I I understand that you got to keep your eyes open, but I sort of part of the part of the equation is that that we're both keeping our eyes open. You know, both me <laughs> and the aircraft that I'm looking for. Are, and and are, if you have no eyes to open, what's going on? Well, and so I don't know. I, I mean, as a technologist, I I believe that they could build systems into these aircraft that might be better than a person on board looking around. But I I don't know that they're doing that, and I wonder if they are. And I'm just curious how this all works, and I confess, I just, I guess I haven't been paying attention because I hadn't realized that these were as deployed as, around the country as this story suggests. Uh, I would suggest oh, yeah, to you that they're probably. From, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I was going to say I suggest to you that they're probably even more deployed than we, that, uh, we're told. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm sure they're all over the southern border and, and perhaps on the northern border also. I mean, after all, we've got to keep all these Mexicans with, uh, with the ultralights out. <laughs> but, I'm with uh, Jeb. I think, I think he's absolutely right. I think yeah. they don't tell us a thing about it. Yeah, uh, there's a lot more of them out there than they're telling us, and, uh, well, and this, that's just this a police story, state we live in, but that's another topic. This, this story that we're reading from here says that the predator that's the predator that's on loan for this from the Department of Homeland Security right. is one of, uh, uh, one of uh, a, a group operating from five bases along the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for, for sure they're operating up there, uh, you know. I can only hope that on a secure channel somewhere that there's some work going on between DHS and the relevant air traffic control agencies there. So at least the controllers can warn somebody away from an aircraft they can't tell them about. Yeah, I mean, it would seem to me, and not to not to jinx anything, but it would just seem to me that it's just a matter of time before we have a mid-air with one of these things. And that'll be, I mean, it's always tragic, but that will be especially... Well, that's, you know, based on historical inertia, uh, historical record, that's what it's going to take for there to be any movement toward really making these things fit into the airspace on an equal basis with equal see and avoid capabilities. Uh, For for that to take any kind of urgency, uh, that's what's going to have to happen. Well, my question to you is which way do you think it would go? Um, do you think that if there is a, a uh, uh, an incident or an event, shall we call it, involving a, um, a remotely piloted vehicle, that especially one that's operating at the behest of the Department of Homeland Security, which type of operation do you think will be more restricted, the DHS operation of the drone or the general aviation operation? Well, oh, the very first instinct's going to be to knee-jerk into the loins of GA and and have us double over with restrictions, uh, temporary flight restriction areas that are more semi-permanent than temporary, more permanent than semi-permanent. But there's going to be a push to continue to make these things more compatible so that they can do away with that because based on how they project putting more and more unmanned aerial vehicles into the airspace for various roles uh they're going to have to do that to be able to maintain airspace for all the important airplanes you know like airliners well 
I don't disagree with that. Uh, I guess the day for which I am waiting is the day that two remotely piloted vehicles collide. That would be a well, situation. Yeah, okay. But uh, it, when that happens, uh, we will cheer the day because nobody died. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, exactly. Before we move on, um, somebody's got a sounds like maybe a television off in the background, um, and uh, it seems to be getting slightly louder as time goes on. Um, I don't know if there's a door that one can close or or something like that. But uh, oh, I think it went away. Okay, good. I won't even ask who it was. Um, who was it? This is an update on the uh, Colgan 3407. This is the uh, this is the Buffalo, New York. Put uh, that up there. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm not. You did, Jeb. Yeah, I did. Uh, so there's been some follow-up on this over the last yeah. week. What's going on? Well, they're, the NTSB is, is working through the investigation. They've scheduled a public hearing, uh, which is um, not unusual that they would hold a public hearing, but it's unusual that they would hold it so soon, uh, in my yeah. mind. It's scheduled for May 12th through 14 uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, cover a wide range of issues, yada, yada, yada. Um, they are conceding, and, 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 and um, I won't say conceding, but they are acknowledging that there was light to moderate icing in the area um, of, of the airplane's operations that, that evening. Um, they talked about uh, two or three things here that um, uh, I found very interesting. The, the first thing is that they have uh, retained um, – the uh, what I, what I call the basically the shuttle valves uh, uh, from the um, de-icing the pneumatic de-icing system. Uh, there's uh, they call them the dual distribution valves, mm-hmm. which transfer air between the main bleed air distribution ducts and the pneumatic boots. Were removed from the airplane for further examination. What that tells me is that they want to look at. Um, Excuse me. We'll look at those components to ensure that they were in working order, or if they were not in working order, uh, what kind of a failure mode they might have presented. Um, the question being, um, the de-icing system clearly was in operation, um, and uh, were these valves all working so that the de-icing system was working on all all the various surfaces, specifically and, and, and implied here, I think is were they, in fact, working on the tail surfaces of right. the airplane. Um, the second thing, and I think the, perhaps the most important thing here, is that they spent a lot of time in this particular release talking about uh, the crew. Yeah. Um, and um, they talk about um, the, the uh, departure maneuver, departure from controlled flight, the maneuver that, that uh, resulted in departure from controlled flight, they talk about the crew training and its history, um, and um, uh, basically what it, it looks like here is where they're headed is, yeah, the airplane was flying in ice, but yeah, uh, it was um, uh, more than capable of, of operating uh, in that environment, uh, in those icing conditions, um, but the crew might have reacted inappropriately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, led to the depar- the uh, departure from controlled flight. That's sure the way it plays. That's the way it reads. Now, wasn't you know, one of the, the stories that came out, and this may have come from an unauthorized source, so so I'll, I'll take it with a grain of salt. But one of the stories was that the captain of the flight was relatively new to this aircraft and had a lot of time in an aircraft that was much more prone to tail stalls. That's correct. 
and and so this the so what what the, what that is trying to imply is that his reaction was to assume that this was a tail stall when maybe yeah. it wasn't well and, but what what happens here is is um, when the de-icing system on the Q400 is engaged, um, the um, stick shaker speed, the speed at which the stick shaker uh, activates, and the stick shaker is basically the stall warning device for a transport category airplane, um, the speed at which that stick shaker activates is increased by roughly 20 knots. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I forgot where I was. The, 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 the pilot, the captain, I should say, uh, of this flight had, had recently upgraded from the ATR. Uh, the ATR doesn't have that particular feature, but the ATR does have, I will call it a, a um, particular sensitivity mm-hmm. to icing. And uh, um, operators, I should say, when I say operators, I mean the actual crew, crews of, of ATRs, um, are very uh, sensitized to the possibility of tailplane icing, and have been, uh, I would suspect, uh, if not if not trained, certainly they've talked among themselves on on how to uh, recover from tailplane icing in the ATR. Um, it's important to note at this stage that a tailplane stall recovery is the opposite from a main wing stall recovery. Right. You pull back Instead of, every time. Right? You, pull, you pull back and, and reduce power. You do not push the nose over and increase power. Uh, it's, it's, that's just the normal maneuver. The, um, what we know, what I know about this uh, uh, so far, this accident, is that the stick shaker activated uh, at that higher airspeed um, and the crew increased the pitch attitude of the aircraft, um, at which point the aircraft stalled and departed controlled flight. The, the punchline in my mind is what, what appears to have happened here, or what, the, what one of the, the likely theories here is, is that the crew um, activated the de-icing system, uh, which increased the shaker speed by 20 knots. When, they, when the stick shaker activated, uh, they felt, because of the indicated airspeed, that it was not a main wing stall uh, warning indication, but it was, in fact, an actual tail stall right. indication and reacted according to their suspicion, not what actually was going on. That's pure speculation on my part. So before we move on, what's the purpose of this hearing in May? This is a public hearing uh, for the Board of Inquiry uh, as a result of this accident, um, and uh, at which point the, the NTSB will take testimony uh, from the various uh, working groups assigned to the investigation. Uh, they're doing this in public, um, uh, f- I would think, for the reason of trying to ensure that the industry and the public uh, are reassured uh, of what they're doing and how they're going about it. Yeah. yeah, it's a two, it's a double-edged event. Okay, first off, what's really unusual about this hearing is that the board is in, doing it in what they call in banc. That is, the people sitting on the board are going to be all five NTSB board members. That is unusual. Not one board member chairing a hearing staffed by the uh, pro- professional staff, the support staff. And under so what that, circumstances do they do that? When they uh, want to make a political statement. Yeah, when they or want to make a, a point. Accident. 
and 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 I think this is one where they want to make a point, and I think the point's going to be uh, that the uh, icing that everybody fears is not the issue here. It was a a, a, a mistaken airmanship, probably probably uh, uh, engendered by very well embedded training on a different aircraft. Yeah. And uh, uh, so there, there's a double-edged thing going on here. One is the public will get to hear the factual testimony of different working groups, and they're going to cover – they're very specific about what they're going to cover. Icing effect on the airplane's performance, cold weather ops, sterile cockpit crew rules, crew experience, fatigue management, and stall recovery training. Uh you know they're going to mention how everything was working because I'm betting that that's what removing the uh, the valves is going to conclude. Right. Is right. Those puppies were working at the time; they're still working now after the crash. Uh, so they nothing to indicate that they shouldn't have been working then. They've got the flight data recorder information that that recorded the the stick pull, which was apparently quick enough to load the airplane up to almost one and a half G's. and uh, Which ain't all that much. And it the, ain't the, all the, that much. The, but the stick just, force wasn't that much, and the G-force wasn't that much. But if it, it brings you into an accelerated, no. if it brings you up to an accelerated stall for that weight and flight condition, then you're in a, in, you're in a whole new world with an airplane that size. So... Sure. Uh, uh, the other half of this event is publicizing what the real information is and letting people show that icing isn't an automatically, you know, it, it imposed death sentence for anybody that gets caught on a turboprop that collects ice. Because after the prior accident related dice, uh, I think they're a little worried about people getting freaked out beyond reality. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pretty interesting stuff. Sad, but interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see now. Someone, uh, D- Dave, someone earlier mentioned that uh, Sun and Fun's coming up, and it sure is. <laughs> uh, um, some uh, People from snowy part of the country, especially Dave, are looking forward to Sun and Fun, I think. And uh, uh, So what is it? It's like three or four weeks from now, something like that? And, well, uh, it, April 21 is opening day. April 26 is closing day. A little bit of an unusual cycle. It starts on Tuesday and ends on Sunday. That's right. And uh, so six days of a lot of fun stuff to do, a lot of airplanes and airplane people and airplane camping. and Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, and one of the great things, I'll do my little plug here, uh, is uh, we are going to be doing, once again, two episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace uh, while we're there at Sun and Fun uh, as the guests of our friends at Sun and Fun Radio uh, on uh, Tuesday evening uh, at approximately uh, 6 o'clock at the end of the Daily Air Show. Uh, we will begin uh, about an hour and a half, hour to an hour and a half uh, live episode that uh, will be... Uh, uh, we will record for the uh, for the internet, but we'll also be broadcast live on uh, their local radio station. And I believe, I'm not sure if they stream it on the internet or not, but uh, it will be broadcast local. They on the, they won't be streaming it this year. Not this year. And I, and I don't know about the Flightline Radio connection uh, again this year. Yeah. But if that if that's still live and working like it was last year, uh, it'll be on the Flightline Radio. That's right. So we're going to do two episodes, one on Tuesday. That's the first day of uh, Sun and Fun uh, in the afternoon after the Daily Air Show. And then on Sunday morning, the final day of Sun and Fun, we're going to do an episode uh, uh, again at the uh, Sun and Fun radio station at about 9.30 a.m. 
Uh, and in both cases, we would love to have uh, any listeners who are in town come on by and say hi. Uh, we'll be out on the uh, uh, weather permitting, and weather will almost certainly permit. Uh, we'll be out on the uh, <laughs> the front deck of uh, Sun and Fun Radio, and uh, it's it's just looking forward to it a lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, we had so much fun doing this, and apparently Sun and Fun just kind of didn't realize what they were getting themselves into, that they have this year invited a bunch of other aviation podcasts to play along. And so uh, each night during Sun and Fun, a different aviation podcast will be uh, recording an episode from the uh, deck of Sun and Fun Radio. On Wednesday evening, uh, April 22nd, uh, Jason Miller's The Finer Points will be recording an episode. On Thursday evening, uh, Will Hawkins and Dave Allen's uh, Pilot's Flight Podlog will be recording an episode. I'll skip Friday for a second. On Saturday evening, Stephen Force's Airspeed will be doing an episode. And going back to Friday, on Friday evening... Uh, during that 6 to 7.30 spot, we will be doing a, a special podcast gathering of the aviation podcasters where any any aviation podcaster who's in town is invited to come on by and we'll just kind of have this big old gang uh, hangar flying session and talk about what's going on and what we've seen and what we like and saying hi to each other and and uh, be a great opportunity for anyone in town to get introduced to a whole bunch of a- interesting aviation podcasts. So that's all week long at uh, Sun and Fun this year. It's going to be great. And that's just, of course, the tip of the iceberg with all the other great things that are going on all week long there at Sun and Fun. Amy, you're going to be in town, right? I am. Uh, hopefully fact, you'll join yeah. us at one or both or, or of, of I can our... Definitely do Tuesday. Definitely okay. do Tuesday. Then we're going Absol- to write you in with Penn then. So you're going to be there on, uh, on Tuesday. And uh, as well as a lot of our special friends uh, will join us, uh, have, have in the past always joined us at our, our Uncontrolled Airspace episodes there. So that's that's uh, podcasting at Sun and Fun. Uh, anything in particular we're looking forward to this year? Amy, you were just What's down the- there. Amy, you, you actually sort of tested the, I don't know whether you did the officially tested. No, I, d- I did. You <laughs> tested the NOTAM. You tested the arrival procedure. What's going on there? some issues well they they have gone to photographing different areas of the arrival procedures if you pull up the notum you'd see that and i apologize i didn't have time to get that link there for you guys but the problem is the photos are two years old and some of the buildings in the photos don't exist anymore like they're not there yep and And, and the water tower was a different color last year that's correct. <laughs> My point exactly. Yeah. And so I, I, being the kind soul that I am, even though I had the wrong airplane, volunteered to take a photographer up and reshoot. But I cannot be assured by anyone that they will have fresh photos up between now and when everybody uses this NODAM. So I just want to put the warning out there. Don't look at the pictures. Now, the text Trust is correct? Me. Is the text correct? The text is correct. Except and for naming the water tower yellow. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> thank you very much, Dave. The oh. water tower is white now, and you go between the cake, which is also a water tower, but it's shaped like a cake, yep. and the white water tower okay. that's shaped like a golf ball in order to aim towards the the basically the FBO on the north side of the field, which you won't see because there's a really big V-shaped building that is not depicted in the pictures because it wasn't built when they took the pictures. And the V-shaped building points you right at the airport, mm-hmm. like the head of an arrow. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. And that's a much better landmark, which I well, took and pictures of ad infinitum. 
they'll have that strobe light rabbit leading right into that arrow shaped building. Well, you would think so. You would, I would think hope so. so. They have that every I'm, year. So. I'm here to tell you that I went down and flew around Lake Parker and up the road and to the interstate and down the interstate. They've actually changed it a little bit so that it takes a little bit of a bend from what it used to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then down into the field with a photographer on board shooting. Poor guy, because it was not, it was windy. Uh, yeah. It's been windy for a week now. And uh, at one point, he clunked himself in the head with his camera lens, which I felt oh, very man. bad just, about. And I was blows. not in the kit fox, because the kit fox, you could basically hovered and got the shot. Yeah. Yeah. The kit fox <laughs> was in the process of having its landing gear changed out. So I was in the RV-10, and that meant that I had to make a couple of passes for this guy mm-hmm. so that he could shoot it. And just for future notice, the best place to put a photographer, if you have to shoot out of an RV-10, is put them in the back seat. Mm-hmm. Really, why? Because they can shoot quarter. <clears throat> they can shoot behind the wing. No. The back seat is actually pretty far behind the wing. Because when they conk themselves in the head, they don't pass out on the pilot. That's also good. Because, yeah, they pass out <laughs> on the pilot, on the stick. It's very yeah. uncomfortable. It's, yeah. um, but so, anyhow. Well, that's, all right. Well, that's, that's interesting information. So, so pay attention, especially pay attention when you're working the notum this year and read the text and uh, maybe try and dig up Amy's pictures. That's uh, all careful out there. Yeah. Amy, can you tell us a little bit about what you were down there for? You were I can. Yeah, uh, do, please. I was there to do an interview with John Burton for Flightline Radio. Yeah. Now, this is Flightline Internet Radio. Or, Flightline or no. Internet oh, no, is Radio this... and also for Flightline Radio. Oh, for both of them. Yeah. Uh, during the show. Here's the deal. I don't know what it is, but you guys have made me, like, sort of famous. <laughs> I'm, you were very famous beforehand. How do you think we found you? All right, but but go ahead. All right, it's very nice of you to say so. Go ahead, continue your story. And so the the FAA Production Studios has decided to me to have me move into the role of a like broadcast talent. Uh huh. Okay. Go figure. Wow. And That's I'm weird. going to be roaming the field. Uh, so we've spawned yet another TV star here, is what you're saying? Yeah, go figure. Yeah, and okay, and ahead. I will. I have a shot list. I have to go out every day, and you know the FAA builds a a satellite uh, TV program, mm-hmm. broadcast quality of Sun and Fun, and I'll be doing the remote some of the remote shots for that, as well as doing some Flightline Radio. Mm-hmm. So that's and kinda, I can't that's wait to the first time I stumble across you and the cameraman, so I can stand behind the cameraman and go. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> that does mean actually, Jeb was probably in the room though he wasn't paying attention when I brought uh, Paul Burley back my first video podcast. Uh, with Randall Fishman last summer at Oshkosh, and you could hear Bertarelli moan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> you shoot this. You have to go back and reshoot this. This is horrible. <laughs> it's a learning experience. We've been doing this podcast for two and a half years. We'll get it right yet. Exactly. Um, exactly. Well, that's cool. Look forward to seeing that. Meetings Amy. will continue until morale improves. That's right. That's very <laughs> cool, Amy. We'll have to look. We'll look forward to, to seeing and hearing some of that stuff that you're doing there. Is, we're, it, we're, is any of it on uh, Flightline Internet Radio yet, or is it, or is it being held yet. for? Yeah. Okay. It, my my second radio interview is scheduled for uh, 4 p.m. Tuesday. 
Mm-hmm. And then I head out toward, uh, hopefully, I will make it to the Aero Friedrichshafen show and uh, get three or four more there. So, Yeah. Now, okay, while you're on that subject, this is on our list, right? What's going on here, yeah. this Aero Friedrichshafen thing? I'm sorry. Well, I'm really- they have... That's okay. I can't say I am pronouncing it correctly either because my German is like Well, however really you pronounce bad. it, what is it? It Free is. Thank you. It's a general aviation show in Europe, mm-hmm. and you could say it's their little sun and fun in a sense. Okay. Um, but it's not little. And it's in a really pretty place not far from Zurich, about an hour from Zurich in Germany um, on a lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's now going from being an every-other-year show to being a once-a-year show. Strangely enough, you would think, wow, they're going to do that this year? And uh, but, that, but they feel like there's enough growth that they can do that. That's great. So, so now what's your connection here? You're, are you going? I, I am hoping to go. I'll let you know when I get there. Okay. It's going to be one of those <laughs> kind of deals. When, when is it? It is, uh, starts on the 2nd and runs to the 5th of April. Oh, like, like soon, like next week. Next week, like next week, next week boys. Uh-huh. And so you're not available be... next week. I... <laughs> okay. Like I said, it really depends on if I can get on an airplane. Uh, I I have not yet purchased a ticket, if that's what you were asking. But I have all intention of going. Well, that'll be great. We'll want to hear all about that. And, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm banking on Priceline real late in the in the process yes, here. Steve. But yeah, I think it's sense. going to work for me. Um, and the traffic and I think is on the Trans Ams right now. You should do well. That's the word on the street. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, though, is one of my connections over there has a, a, a new um, charter outfit at Egglesbach Airport, which is a general aviation reliever airport for Frankfurt, Maine. And he told me yesterday that NetJets just purchased 80% of the airport there, of the GA airport, Hmm. in order to expand the runways, put in an IFR approach, and upgrade the ramp. So what does that that tell you? They did that some weeks ago, yeah. Or last year. Uh, Yeah, this this has been a while. But uh, they were in a position... To take an airport whose future was in doubt, uh, support was in doubt, uh, whether it was going to you know, be kept open, survive, be available. And they said, well, we'll take it off your hands and we'll make it viable, uh, use it as a, 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 a central base for a lot of their European ops. Mm-hmm. And uh, they uh, pretty much have their own private field now for routing NetJet Europe operations uh, back and forth across the continent for uh, uh, for maintenance. And uh, smart move on their part. Yeah, that's a it very is. smart it move. Is. It's a very smart move. Now, they didn't they, – it's not their own private because they still – 20% of the ownership still resides with the town um, uh, that that the airport resides in. So it's still open to other entities, but by doing this, they were able to fix up the airport so that it would be useful in just the manner that Dave described. Interesting. I bet we could find a few airports here in the States that they could buy and upgrade if they wanted to. Oh, good Lord. You would think so. Yeah, right. Okay. 
Well, that's interesting. Tell us. You're gonna have to tell us all about this whole uh, this whole Europe thing when you get back. And uh, I will. I will. So else. wish me luck. Yeah. Oh, well, our friend, uh, our old friend Dan Johnson's heading over tomorrow. Uh, Saturday on the 28th of March, he's headed over to Friedrichshafen as well uh, because of the uh, very strong presence of LSA type uh, industry at yeah. this show. Yeah. So. It's huge, and there's a lot of cutting-edge technology in terms of alternative fuel and alternative engines that I'm very interested in. I'm running on alternative fuel right now. <laughs> hey, a couple more stories here before we completely run out of time. Uh, um, one, well, I don't know how to characterize them exactly. I'll just dive in here. Uh, so a preliminary report from the NTSB regarding the Cessna Skycatcher crash the other day. And uh, I don't know. You guys are way more 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 you know smart about this stuff than I am. But it sounds a little disturbing to me. What happened here? Um, it, it was another severe stall or, or spin, stall into spin, right? And, oh, big time, man! Big and time. Thought, and, that, and we thought they had fixed this from the previous previous well, incident, no, right? We 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 knew that they had made changes to fix it. Finding out whether it was fixed is what this is all about. Well, do we know that's what they were testing, or did they think it was fixed and this is... This was part of the regime to test the aircraft through the, uh, through the uh, stall envelope and oh. different, different CG loadings, different engine settings. In this case, they had power on, and it was, it was described uh, elsewhere, uh, cross-controlled, which is tailor-made to wrap you up real quick. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. it goes from dragging a little nose high and getting to where it wants to stall, where one wing just says, "Wow, I'm fracking quitting this," and the other wing is like, "Whoopee!" Yeah. and down you go. And uh, what's uh, that's what test programs are designed to find. What's uh, uh, got to be unsettling for them over there and a real challenge is that. They enlarged the tail. They made changes uh, specifically to address the fact that the airplane, during similar testing, went into an unrecoverable stall spin, into an unrecoverable spin last year. I think mm -hmm. it was September. They redesigned the tail. They got new tail on it. Uh, everything's coming along real happily with the modified prototype. Which is, by the way, the last prototype, right? And it happens again. Oops. Now I'm not sure that it happened at exactly the same configuration as it happened before. Uh, while you know that's interesting in the abstract, that's irrelevant in terms of the final conclusion. The airplane has an ability to enter a spin from which a professional test pilot could not recover. That's not a good marketing position. You can't <laughs> placard spins prohibited after a point like after a, a, a discovery like this and be anywhere near free of liability. They've got to design that out of this airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the other factor here, too, is after the uh, parachute, after the uh, airframe parachute deployed, the uh, aircraft stabilized. Uh, it was under under canopy, uh, and the spin had stopped, etc. Uh, the pilot then attempted to jettison the airframe parachute. Oh, that's and, what was. And, I didn't understand and, that part. Okay. Yeah. And and, re, and fly the airplane back home, 
and he right. could not jettison the parachute. He tried apparently several times. Um, yeah. He then opened the airplane door to bail out using his uh, using a personal parachute, not an airframe parachute. Right. Uh, determined he was too low for a successful bailout and decided to stay with the airplane. Shut down the engine. The airplane then hit the ground, landed landing upright in an open field. Broke off the nose gear, splayed out the main landing gear. Um, but it was windy that day. Right. And the um, surface wind uh, caught the, the airframe parachute and drug the airplane. The NTSB says six-tenths of a mile. Ooh, really? That's, that's, a, that's yeah. That's a wave. That's, yeah. Okay, and it's I, only I, stopped when it hit a fence. And that's flipped, right. When it got that's just bad luck. Yeah. Yeah, that's it just really a is. bad day well, all it, around. Makes me wonder about how severe the load was on that disengageable link right when right. the brs when the brs fully inflated makes me wonder if maybe it wasn't above a design limit and made that thing non-functional somehow it, it, it could be completely off it could have been the deployment or you know the release link itself the cable huh. between the handle and the cockpit that was a problem you know that the in in real life there's no disengaged link that's right that's right. That's that's an option put into test aircraft oh, so that they can that. Okay. disengage the parachute from, uh, you know, they've recovered from the spin. The aircraft is stable. They disengage the parachute and they fly it away. Uh, I've personally witnessed this in rocket-powered parachute deployment tests years ago where there was a, uh, a skydiver's three-ring circus link was what, joined the parachute tether to the airframe tether and after a successful rocket powered deployment the pilot in the test aircraft was able to pull a handle much like a ripcord pull the pin out of the three ring circus it went flip 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 and the aircraft and the parachute parted company mm -hmm. uh, whatever the mechanism was in this case that didn't work otherwise the guy would have flown the airplane back to uh, uh I'm I'm Cessna I'm going to say probably Cessna Field over by B, uh, McConnell Air Force Base, and uh, uh, sent somebody to recover the parachute. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll continue to be interesting following this program, and uh, well, we're really sorry to see it because the program's yeah, really got are. a lot of promise. It's got a lot of customers, got a lot of enthusiasm. A lot of dealers or Cessna dealers are counting on it to provide some uh, uh, new avenues for lower-cost flight training and lower-cost aircraft sales. And this really, you know, is going to be a bit of a speed bump. Well, and one thing you have to admire in Cessna, you have to ask the question, how many other LSA manufacturers are doing this kind of this. testing right. yeah. on their airplanes? Because they don't have to. Well, there's a fair amount of this kind of stability and, and recovery testing required in the ASTM uh, uh, compliance standard. But uh, there's this and other areas where Cessna is going above and beyond what the ASTM uh, compliance standards require and more into things that they'd be used to doing for a FAR 23 airplane. Yeah, I, I, I maintain that they've gone above and beyond and oh, absolutely. where they're getting absolutely. into trouble. Yeah. Well, now that Violet. may well prove to be true. I don't know that what they're doing is that far outside of what's required. I just don't know. My, my ultimate 
uh, concern, though, is for whoever does this test pilot's laundry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, we, in past episodes, recently have been speculating as to what the Eclipse 500 owners uh, uh, are going to do about maintenance. And uh, here's one possibility. It seems that a group of former... I guess they're the folks that were working in the factory um, are trying to get together and put together a, 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 a an FBO, well, maybe not an FBO, but a but a, a maintenance operation of some sort to do. And I and I guess they now you guys have to educate me on this. They have to get some sort of special certification or special something in order to be able to do authorized maintenance on these things. Well, they'll have to get the FAA. They'll have to demonstrate to the FAA that they are up to speed on Eclipse approved techniques and knowledge and tools and all that because uh, the way they ran the program only authorized Eclipse service people were uh, uh, qualified to work on the airplane and satisfy the maintenance requirements. Uh, these are ex-Eclipse maintenance people who are going to, who are applying for the FAA for the authority to do that very thing and they're forming their own company, Eclipse 500 Services, with the motto, keeping the jet we love flying. And, uh, they're going to be working on service bulletin compliance, 300 hour inspections, uh, annuals, uh, pretty much the whole, uh, envelope of what it's going to take to keep the what is it, 259 existing Eclipse 500s legal and hairworthy on behalf of their customers. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I wish them well, man. I wish them well. I do too. That could actually be uh, help create a foundation that would make reviving the program worthwhile. So it's uh, it's I mean it's it, I guess it was to be expected that this would happen and, and yeah so someone had to step to step up and uh, uh, take over some of the maintenance and support and, and uh, who who better to do it than the people who help build these things yeah. that's right there you go there you go uh, let's see now before we completely run out of time here are there any uh, other stories on this list that uh, that you guys would like to uh, yeah to, let's to visit? go see let's go see while you're looking at the list I'll tell you how my life is shaping up these days so I was so yeah. I finally completed my GoBosch uh, checkout uh, the uh, the LSA that's at Southern Maine Airport or Southern Maine Aviation um, and uh, because I wanted to finally get back to the point where there was an airplane that I could rent I mean all winter long I haven't been checked out to rent any airplanes so I finally finished the GoBosch and I figured, okay, now I'm gonna like I'm not gonna get any more training for a little while. I'm just gonna go f do some flying, have some fun, and go places and so forth. All right, all right. Seven days after I completed my checkout, the GoBosch came up for its hundred-hour uh, maintenance checkout, and it turns out this is the this is one of apparently the I don't know if it's apparently it has something to do with the Rotax because every other hundred-hour. The carbs like have to be sent someplace for some long time. So, right. so the GoBosch is basically gonna, scheduled to be off the line for three weeks. So, oh. so wow. I'm back with. No Sounds like it's time to complete that tailwheel checkout. Yeah. So, well, uh, that, that's going to take a long time too. I think I'm going to jump up and either do the Valor, or or just get a 172 checkout. I was going to say, do they have like a 172 on the line? Yeah. They actually have it's three of them. I, mean, I mean, no, they do. They have three of them, and that's probably the way to go. That way, I'm likely to have an airplane available all the time. But I was just having so much fun with these, what were to me exotic airplanes. So I was, you know. 
Alternative uh, aviation. Yeah. So, uh, so, anyways, I'm I'm so I'm without an airplane again. But maybe this weekend I'm going to go and get checked out in the 172. Or I've just been looking with more and more. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it looks like a lot of fun. This Valor. Uh, this is just like. Yeah, it does. It's it got, does. It's got lots of visibility, and uh, it's 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 usually sitting there in the hangar every Sunday morning when I arrive for my IFR ground school class, and uh, and during breaks I'll kind of wander over and kind of look at it some more, and you know, kind of fantasize, you know, flying it and thinking, oh yeah, this could be cool. This could be cool. So, so that's the latest on my flying situation. Here. Oh man, when you say fantasize, the the ketchup song pops into my head. <laughs> What's that? The ketchup Anticipation. song? Anticipation. Anticipation. That's right. Yeah, there you go. Ketchup song. What else? Anything else we want to talk about here before we wrap this thing up? Oh, just a real quick and, and, and lightweight shout-out to uh, the folks at Lee Bottom Airport uh-huh. in southern Indiana. Their latest newsletter landed in my mailbox a few days ago, and I got a real kick out of uh, – Reading what's always a uh, enlightening and opinionated little piece of uh, of uh, creative work on uh, at the hands of the folks that uh, that keep Lee Bottom up and running, and uh, that'd be Ginger and Rich Davidson at uh, at Lee Bottom Airport near Hanover, Indiana. So they have a series of Sunday fly-ins they call sinful sundays coming up this summer and there's some debate going on on the forums about making that a ucap get together uh one in june so uh it's got me rethinking plans to travel back to my hometown i know know about 30 miles away i'd give it serious thought too except i'm already planning i'm already scheduled they've got me in las vegas that weekend unfortunately so uh, well uh, i've got to spend a couple extra weeks in florida after sun and fun doing some photo work and uh uh when i get back from that i was hoping to get home to indiana before memorial day weekend but it's looking less and less Less and less possible. So, getting out there in a time schedule that allows for going to Lee Bottom sounds even better. And I think I might be able to recruit my friend Fuschelberger from Columbus, Indiana, ah. to, to pick me up in his debonair at Juliet Victor Yankee, and we fly over to Lee Bottom. Sounds like so. Fun. Sounds like fun. back home in Indiana. That sounds like someone back should make a Indiana. song out of that. <laughs> I got to. You know, I should talk to that guy Carmichael. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Carmichael. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I got one shout out here. Uh, this is a, a listener in the forums has called our attention to the fact that uh, um, uh, what seems to be a great organization, I've never really had any personal experience with them, but uh, an organization called the 1940 Air Terminal Museum at William Hobby Airport in Houston, Texas. Oh, yeah. Uh, and from their website, it looks like an awesome museum. Uh, I would love to visit it one of these days. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be in. Well, I'm going to be in Dallas. But anyways, I'll be in Texas soon. Maybe I can make a side trip. They uh, are doing a, a, a fundraiser where they are going to be giving away a 1957 Cessna 172. Uh, and uh, that you can buy a, a ticket in this, uh, I guess it's a raffle, of uh, basically. Uh, and they cost $0.50, cents, $0.50, cents, $50, $50 uh, per, per ticket. Um, but uh, but as as he says here in the uh, forum posting, he says it would be the cheapest plane you ever bought. Uh, uh, and plus, he says you're supporting a good cause. So uh, if you want to go to uh, the the website is is 1940airterminal.org. That's 1940airterminal.org. And 
uh, and uh, check out about the museum and information on how you can enter the raffle. I think it's a good cause, and it would be really cool to win. So, uh, anything else? Anybody got any others? Uh, just uh, uh, starting to meet and uh, get to know some of the uh, other pilots and neighbors down here at uh, Hidden River, and uh, just kind of a shout out to, to Lynn and Randy and Don and uh, uh, Carol and Gail and Doug and all of them, uh, um, just uh, you know, great people, and, and I'm very privileged to uh, be living here with them, and uh, uh, thanks for all their support. Yeah, that's great. Here's some the, some really neat airplanes yeah. here. Uh, Don, uh, I met last evening. Uh, uh, got a uh, 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 earlier Bonanza than my Debonair is. I, I I've because we talked about an airplane that he used to have, and I, I was got a little bit confused. I think he's got like an E model um, uh, Bonanza, but uh, uh, put put it put put that aside. He's also got a Stearman, uh, and it's a very, very nice uh, 450 Pratt Stearman. Um, I was thinking about days, you I'm and your Debbie today. Yeah. Uh, you live in Stearman yeah. country, too. A lot yeah. of good places to yeah. go with it. Have you figured out who the 6 a.m. departure is? Yeah, I know I know who that is. Oh, you do? Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anything else? Any other shout I got, I got no room to talk because occasionally I'm the 6 a.m. departure yeah. around. Yeah. Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We can we can say with great confidence that it is a rarity of a global nature for Jeb to be the six a.m. departure. Well, okay, we won't hey, go there. No, right? I, I won't. I won't. You know, there was a. It's a rarity for Jeb to be the eleven a.m. departure. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah. I am. I am genetically incapable of of turning the key before key. noon. Before noon local time. Now, Ernie Gann, um, the late great um, a pilot and, and author, um, after he retired from, from flying the line, um, and, and someone stop me if I've got this wrong, but he had a 310, had a Cessna 310, um, and traveled all over the Americas, South America, North America with it. Um, but they, they named it the Noon Balloon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because it never rose in the morning, <laughs> and, and I guess I'm just a soulmate with with Ernie Gann. I, I can't hold the candle to his skills or his writing ability, uh, but uh, at least there's one thing he and I do have in common. There you go. There you go. Uh, Amy, any shout-outs? Uh, no, just uh, that it's going to be a very busy sun and fun. I know that because we've got a breakfast and uh, and uh, Pilot Mall has the Gifts of Flight building at Sun and Fun. Mm-hmm. And they're opening it up each evening to a different group. So Women in Aviation is going to have that on uh, Saturday evening. And the night air show is going to be a blast now that I know that we're going to have a Potapalooza. Um, yeah. In conjunction with it, I mean that's going to be fun. Yeah, well, I think we're the pot, but now the pot. Of, it's actually not going to be Potapalooza. It's going to be, okay. <laughs> be gathering of the aviation. Dun, 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 dun. Not, not to be confused. Not to be confused with the uh, very cool uh, podcast that happens at at uh, at Air Venture. This is uh, Amy. I suggested Loop a Podzilla, but <laughs> this is something else. Something else. <laughs> but now I think that we're probably going to be yeah. done with uh, with the gathering of the aviation podcasters. Um, pr- Probably just prior to the beginning of the night air show. Even better. You know, so, uh, yeah, so you can do both. No no choices need be made here. Well, uh, thanks, everybody. It's always a blast to have you all uh, here in the hangar. Uh, Amy Laboda is uh, a freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. And, Amy, where can people find you on the Internet? 
at aviationforwomen.org. So is that is that a new URL you guys used to be doing? Well, no, we're we're WAI.org as well. But if you want to go straight to the magazine, you can find it there. Okay, terrific, terrific. Well, thanks for joining us. It's always it's always a lot of fun, and we look forward to seeing you face-to-face in, uh, in Lakeland in just a few weeks. Just a few weeks. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's also an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. And where can people find you on the net, Dave? Oh, DaveHigdon.biz, AvBuyer.com, AEA.net, UncontrolledAirspace.com. Uh, I'm, I'm beginning to feel like butter near the end of the stick, getting spread thin. <laughs> I see. I was wondering where you were. I was actually a little scared where you were going. I was that. scared oh, where that was going. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the Internet? Well, uh, first, Jeb? I just want to say thank God Amy keeps us honest. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Keeps us on the straight and narrow here. Uh, they can find uh, – uh, listeners can find me at aviationsafetymagazine.com. I occasionally uh, uh, pop up on uh, on avweb.com. In fact, uh, uh, today I was out helping them shoot another video. So there's a there's a video upcoming. Oh, no on more blooper fodder. I, yeah, there is blooper fodder, but this time I am not in front of the camera. I am behind the camera or just, just manipulating the controls on the airplane uh, as, as other people uh, uh, can't do the camera work and, and, and do the talent work. So uh, my, my nose is clean all the way around, but uh, you yeah, will see the airplane Every time I hear about least. you doing this, my mind flashes back to the old British TV show Max Headroom. Yeah, yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's good. I I remember the program, and um, uh, that's um, I, I don't know. I think God will will get you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at uh, jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. As always, a big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes and also for helping me to put together the New England meetup. Uh, also, thanks to our many listeners and particularly to Royce Earle and Mike Morgan for the show opening disclaimer clips. And don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the airport restaurants list, the aviation movies list, and more. And all of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? If you want to live longer, fly more often because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. So that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Thank you.